0: Tonight, we're going to be turning in our Bibles to Psalm 135 as we consider the teaching of Lord's Day 47 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Psalm 135 in your Bibles, page 519. Page 519, and then Lord's Day 47, page 894, the back of your hymnals, page 894. Considering The Lord, who is great above all. And this, in the context of the catechism's organization of the Scriptures teaching on prayer, the disciples ask the Lord, Lord, teach us to pray, and he, he says to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Not a phrase that we use too much to hallow something. Tonight we want to consider what that means to hallow something means to set it apart our call is to set apart God and his glory in our minds or he is unlike any other and when we say we hallow his name it doesn't mean we make him special or that we make him powerful it's that we acknowledge that he is powerful that he is unique we are recognizing that he is to be set apart unlike anything that we experience on earth. He is worthy to be praised. We're going to listen to God's word and then we're going to responsively read question and answer 122. Listen verse then to God's word from Psalm 135. Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Give praise, O servants of the Lord, who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing to his name, for it is pleasant. For the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel, as his own possession. For I know that the Lord is great, and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps. He it is who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, Who makes lightnings for the rain and brings forth the wind from his storehouses. He it is, or he it was, who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, both of man and of beast, who in your midst, O Egypt, sent signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants, who struck down many nations and killed mighty kings, Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan, and all the kingdoms of Canaan. And gave their land as a heritage, a heritage to his people, Israel. Your name, O Lord, endures forever. Your renown, O Lord, throughout all ages. For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. The idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak. They have eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Nor is there any breath in their mouths. Those who make them become like them, so go to all who trust in them. O house of Israel, bless the Lord. O house of Aaron, bless the Lord. O house of Levi, bless the Lord. You who fear the Lord, bless the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from Zion. He who dwells in Jerusalem, praise the Lord. Question 122 looks at that first petition and would like us to read the answer together. The question is, what does the first petition mean? We say together, hallowed be your name means, help us to truly know you, to honor, glorify, and praise you for all your works and for all that shines forth from them, your almighty power, wisdom, kindness, justice, mercy, and truth, and it means help us to direct all our living, what we think, say, and do, so that your name will never be blasphemed because of us, but always honored and praised. your congregation, and talking about God as holy, I was trying to avoid using that that phrase, he's unlike anything we've experienced, because that makes him sound like he's an alien or something that's just so foreign that we can't grasp who God is. That's not really how we want to understand the hallowing of God, the setting apart of God. It's not that he's alien, That He's that he's... So strange that we can't possibly understand him. What it means is that he's the perfection of all good, of everything. He is love. He is power. He is truth. He's he's unlike anything we've experienced. We might know in part truth. We know in part power and love, because God has showed them to us, and he calls us to pursue love, he calls us to pursue truth, he reveals power. We have a sense of these things, but God is all of these things in perfection. He wants us to know these attributes, these categories, so that we might walk in this way. He reveals himself in his word. We're to walk in the light of his Revelation, and when we say, Lord, Father, help us to hallow your name, we're saying, help us to know you. That's what the catechism teaches us. Help us to know you. They look at the scripture's teaching and they lay out what it teaches. The writers lay out what it teaches, and that is that we are to know God, to understand who he is to walk in the light of his revelation. Oftentimes, what we reveal in our lives is that we don't walk in the light of that revelation. We don't walk in what has been revealed to us. It doesn't impact the way we act or react, the way that we speak, and we show that we don't know him as we ought because we act or react in ways that are not in keeping with what God says about himself. Again, the writers say that when Jesus told his disciples to pray this petition, he was urging them to ask Father to help them truly know him. We often speak of having faith in God, yet we don't act accordingly. I was thinking how that's illustrated in the Bible. It's really seen throughout the Bible, how God reveals himself and how his people do not respond in turn, do not respond accordingly. One example I was thinking of was the Judge Gideon. If you want to look there, you're welcome to turn to the book of Judges, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Judges chapter 6, where we see Gideon being called of the Lord, and he being called as a ruler of God's people was to be one who understood who God was so that he might lead the people rightly. And yet, what we read there is that he's not so sure about how to do this or how to, how to lead. He's, he's concerned about, about how he is going to do that. Let me just read a few verses from Judges 6. Now the angel of the Lord, verse 11, came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. See, Gideon knew the Lord. He knew of the Lord's deeds. He says, I remember what they said. Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? Is he not great? Well, where is he? He says. Why are we experiencing this hardship? He's focused on his situation and on Israel's situation and not on the Lord, and he's forgetting why the people are where they are. It's because they've forgotten who the Lord is, and they are not serving the Lord. They're following their own ways. They're doing, what does the book of Judges say? Whatever was right in their own eyes. The Lord was not going to bless that. And do you ever have, do you ever reason in your mind the way that Gideon does? Well, Lord, I know you're strong and you're powerful, but... Where are you? Why are these things happening to us? Or where is God? But listen to what God says to Gideon. He says, Go, verse 14. Gideon again responds, But I, I, I'm, I'm the least of my father's house, verse 15. What can I do? And the Lord says, remember, I am going with you, and I will be with you. And that is the reminder in God's word over and over again. When God calls us to do something, he says, I am. I will go with you. That should be all that Gideon needed. Gideon recognizes that God... Is calling him, you remember what happens, boys, what happens, he has his soldiers whittled down to 300 men and he defeats a Midianite host, which is described in Judges 7 this way, the Midianites were as numerous as the locusts, their camels were without number as the sand that is on the seashore. This was a vast enemy. Gideon was apprehensive to go. But he needed to remember that God was sending him and that God was going to be with him. Like your theme verse, Joshua 3 verse 5, what do we see there in the front of the bulletin? It says that God is going to do amazing things, right? When does that happen? When's Joshua 3 recorded? What is it recording? It's recording... The Israelites going into the land of promise, they're going to face a lot of enemies. They're going to face a lot of challenges, as you will as you grow up, as you grow and live in this world. You'll face a lot of challenges. But it's important for us to remember that God goes with us, and he is unlike any other. He's to be set apart in our minds. He is not wavering. He doesn't doesn't change his plans. He doesn't change his mind. He says, if if he says he's going to go with you, he will go with you, and he will keep you. And when we pray, Father, hallowed be your name, we're asking God to remind us of his greatness and of his certitude, that he doesn't change. When he says he's going to be with us, he will be with us. His deliverances of his people are throughout the scriptures, Psalm 107 is one place where a lot of them are, are... uh, brought together and there's a pattern in that psalm and it goes like this The people are in trouble they cry out the lord hears their prayer and he delivers them we see it in psalm 135 tonight where we where we were uh, reading at the outset god is the one who delivers from all these kings from all of these powers he delivers his people who might say today from all of those who would stand against christians in christianity I was thinking of other examples where the Bible speaks of that. One of, the, one of the phrases that came to mind was the one that Jonathan spoke to his armor bearer in 1 Samuel 14, verse 6, where he says this, God can deliver by many or by few. God is powerful to save. He doesn't need vast numbers. He could save the Israelites through 300 men against a host that was Countless. Or, 2 Kings 16, or excuse me, Second Kings 6, verse 17. Elisha's servant calls him out of the house. An enemy is set up against the city, intent on capturing Elisha. I'm going to all the details of the story. What does Elisha say to his servant? Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And he prays, Lord, please open my servant's eyes so that he might see. And what does the servant see? He sees a heavenly host there to protect, to preserve them. Another passage that came to mind was 2 Chronicles 20. I want to look at that for a few moments with you tonight. Second Chronicles 20, as the catechism reminds us, we look through all of Scripture and we, we see in all of these places the works of God, all that shines forth from them. We're looking at His power. Primarily here, but his wisdom, his kindness, his justice, his mercy, and truth are wrapped up in this as well. But the enemies of Israel come against them, and the king of that time, King Joshaphat, stood at the, before the people and before a, a, a fearful people, and he prayed. And I want you to listen to the words that he uses. Second Chronicles 20, verse 5. Joshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you. For your name is in this house, and we will cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. This is their confidence. They know God will hear them and save them. Verse 10, And now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir What's happening, in this, what's happening here? Well, God's reputation is at stake. God has promised them this land. He says, you're going to receive this land. And there were enemies seeking to take it, seeking to take their life. Josaphat recognized that and he says, we set you apart in our minds. You're great and glorious, O God, to deliver. He declares before the people all the works of the Lord, of how he is powerful and the promise that he gives And what does the Lord say as the account goes on? Verse 15, the Lord says, Do not be afraid, do not be dismayed, for the battle is not yours, but God's. It's God's battle. He's going to do amazing things. He's going to work powerfully. He says this, Go down. You will not need to fight this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. The Lord is going to deliver his people for his name's sake, for his reputation. He promises to do that. That's our peace of mind. Think of the state of the world that we're in, the state of things that we're in right now. Think of the cultural tidal wave that's crashing down upon Christianity and upon truth against the word of God, against God himself. The wave seems to grow almost every day. It seems like it's going to just overwhelm us. But here is our confidence. God reigns. He does amazing things. He is unlike any other. We need to remember that when we pray. God will accomplish his plan of redeeming his people and of establishing new heavens and new earth. We need to remember our place, which we we be reminded of again last Sunday evening that we are witnesses to God's great glory. First Peter 2, set apart for that. The question then comes up: but why do we go through these difficulties? Why do we face these hardships? Well, quite often it's because of the actions we take. Perhaps it's compromises we make, poor choices. But that still leaves the question before us, why are we in these difficult places? Well, one reason as we walk through life that we face difficulties, God wants to remind us of our need. One minister puts it this way, if dependency is God's objective, then weakness is an advantage. We're often reminded of our Weakness and frailty so that we don't try to live without God. We can't live without God. We need to depend on him. One thing before we move on from this passage. It appears as though there's nothing that we need to do. It says here, the Lord's going to go before you. Stand firm. You don't need to fight in this battle. Hold your position and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. Boys, I want you to think about something. Standing firm is doing something. To stand firm, to know the truth, is important. What does it look like to stand firm? That's what you need to learn as you grow in the Lord, in your homes, in school, through the word preached at church, through the cadet program. Don't think that you have nothing asked of you. You're called to listen and to take to heart God's word so that you might be able to stand firm when the enemies seek to attack. You need to know who God is and what he teaches. When you pray, Father, hallowed be your name, you're saying, Father, help me to set you apart in my life. Help me to know you from your works as I study the Bible. Help me to know how the world works You learn some of that in cadets as you take up projects and seek to develop your gifts and abilities. You need to learn this so that you might be able to stand and lead when you are called, even as your counselors are called to do that. Even as we are called to do that. We see his power. That's what we see in his works. But we also see his wisdom his kindness, his justice, mercy, and truth. His wisdom we see in the design of the world. We could look at many different passages, but we see how God sets the sun in the heavens, the moon, the stars, and as the psalmist says it in Psalm 135, we see how they orbit each other and how the, uh, the earth is inhabitable because it's just the right distance from the sun, and we have the atmosphere, and we think of all these other things that we've discovered, and we see the wisdom of God in his creation. You see, the kindness of God, the justice of God, the mercy of God. Satan wants us to forget all of these things. He wants to wipe them from our minds. He doesn't want us to ponder them. He wants us to just live without giving thought, without using our minds. We're to lean not on our own understanding, Not to just go about doing things by instinct, but we're to have our minds transformed by the word of God. We're to lean upon the Lord, to walk in that right path. What does the writer of Proverbs say? Do not lean on your own understanding. Do not be wise in your own eyes, but look to the Lord. Listen to those words in Proverbs 3. This is where wisdom is found. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. This is what it means to stand firm. That's an active thing. It's not just simply passive where you say, well, I'll just stand here. We want to be able to say that we stand in the truth. We see the Lord's unconditional love in the scriptures. He showers his blessings on everyone. But as he shows particular kindness to his chosen where he disciplines those, he treats his sons in mercy and mercy. We looked at that this morning, that in his discipline there is love, for he does not want us to be consumed by our sin. We see his justice in the Scriptures. Just think of how the Old Testament is set before us. We've seen it. He strikes down kings. Psalm 135 tells us. We read that in other places throughout the Scriptures. In the Old Testament, God's hand is heavy against those who stand against him. judges sin justly. What was happening in these nations that the Lord's people were living among? They were sacrificing their children to other gods. They were acting immorally. We see immorality. We see sacrifice today happening in our own land. And we must stand and speak truth because we are those who represent God who says these things must not happen among you. Do not let this immorality be named among you. Do not let this wickedness be named among among you. Do not sacrifice your children but raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And that word is directed to us as well as to the nations because not only does sinful behavior happen outside of God's people, but sadly it also exists among God's people. That's why we need to be reminded of God's word. Yet even in the Old Testament where we see God's judgment being carried out, We see a plan for him to carry out his judgment against our sin upon a substitute. He does so by punishing sin in his own son. At the cross, we see the darkness of judgment give way to the light of grace and mercy. We see Christ's resurrection and our resurrection in him from death to life. These things are at odds with our cultural moment. There's cry for justice. There's cry for reparation. There's cry for, I want to be paid back, but there's no hope of forgiveness. That seems to be non-existent. Continual cry for more and more reparation, endless reparation with no hope of ever receiving forgiveness. But to know God is to know a God who is just and merciful unlike any other. We would never absorb such wickedness and offer forgiveness in its place. So in this prayer, when we pray, hallowed be your name, we're asking God to show us him, that we see his justice, but we also see his mercy, for this is his truth. the second part of that answer speaks of how we're asking God to help us to direct all of our living, what we think, say, and do, so that your name will never be blasphemed because of us, but always honored and praised. Paul says it this way, none of, us, none of us lives to ourselves. We are to live for the Lord. We're set apart for him, to declare the praises of him who calls his people out of darkness into the light. That's what we're to be about. As we set apart his name, then our lives are set apart we live differently. We have different goals, principles, patterns in our lives. We could also look at what the scripture says about what it means to dishonor or blaspheme the Lord. there's many passages that speak about that. I just want to mention one that's in the context of worship This morning, I was looking at that topic of worship, the subject of worship in the high school catechism class, and we looked at Leviticus chapter 10 with Nadab and Abihu. There what we see is uh, the sons of Aaron coming and offering unauthorized fire. They did not hallow God's name. They thought it didn't matter what God said. They thought they could just compromise and bring an offering that was not authorized by God. And it says that fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Well, what happened there? What happened there is they were living in disobedience to God, not hallowing his name. And the sacrifice wasn't consumed, but they were consumed because they dishonored and blasphemed the Lord. And the Lord said this, among those who are near me, notice, not just in the nations, not just those outside, but this is a word for God's people. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified, I will be set apart, and before all the people, I will be glorified. One way we do that is in our speech, but also in our living. And as we close, let's close with this reflection, that we're asking God to keep us from forgetting, not forgetting His way of salvation. We're to remember His way of salvation. In His marvelous love, we see one unlike any other. We would never come up with such a salvation. We would refuse to be appeased or placated by any sacrifice if we were continually sinned against, and yet that is what God does. It's the great wonder of God's Majesty offers a love that is beyond our experience. When we pray, we ask that he would draw us closer to himself to ponder his great love, that we might live more and more as he does. Remembering this, as we look at his work, that he sent his son to be consumed. That his son bore our punishment, it was the Lord's will to crush him. By his wounds we are healed. There is no other God like that. No other love like that. We are to remember that and to live in that way. To love and to show kindness. To fight for justice but also to display mercy. To walk in the way of truth. Which is to be found in God the Lord. Who is like God no other greater than all. Indeed, hallowed be his name. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we reflect upon who you are, you are great above all other, all the gods of the nations, those things that people make. Are just imaginations of their mind. They have no eyes to see. They can't see into the future. They have no ears to hear. They are not listening to their deepest need, no minds to perceive. It is walking around in darkness that these people, uh, as these people walk about. But you, you speak to the future, you show us where life is found. You hear us and we are to listen to you as you tell us what we most need and then to see what you provide and to consider in our minds how you are to be praised and worshipped with all of our living. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to set you apart in our lives, that our thought, word, and deed would be focused upon you, making much of you. Hear us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen.